0: Um, If you don't know me, my name is Josh. Hi. Nice to, uh, well, I guess be seen by you. Um, But if I don't know you, I consider that a problem. I would like to know you. So if you don't know me personally, maybe even if you're like, yeah, I know you're Josh, because you stand up here and you say that every time. You're like, hey, I'm Josh. But I don't actually know you? I would love to get to know you. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Luke's going to rearrange it even further. Uh, Yeah. I'd love to get to know you. You can email me, Josh Wilder, at doorofhopepdx.org, and I would love to get together with you. Uh, full disclosure: I had COVID recently, so I'm very, very unlikely to be carrying it. If you want to meet with me, but you know what? We can still wear masks, or we can do a Zoom meeting if that's what you prefer. That's fine. Um, but anyway, so I'm not here to talk about that. Uh, I'm here to get into God's word. I hope you guys are too. Hope you guys want to hear from the Lord, because every time we open his word, that's actually what we're doing. I hope you're not um, hoping that Josh is going to pull out something clever to say. Uh, I hope that you're listening for the true shepherd's voice, for what He is going to say to you. I've talked to several pastors who've been at it for a while, and they'll tell me things like, Oh, you know, I'll preach a sermon, and I'll have my main point, and then... Uh, if they're at like a big church or, you know, over time, they'll be like, oh, people will say, oh, I really like that sermon. It really did this. And they will say, what spoke to you? And it's almost never the main point. And it'll be a bunch of different things out there. And that just goes to show that even though the person preparing the sermon might be like, oh, here's the main point that I want you to get. Maybe the Lord wants you to get something else. So God works like that he doesn 't want to stay confined into this little box that we shape him into, and then like dump him into people 's minds like information. He wants to break out of that, so uh, I hope that we can kind of break out of that this morning. I brought my tea again, but this time I know it 's not hot uh, what 's ironic is like a year ago, I was preaching at Southeast, and I had left the lid off, and I just put it on and brought it up, and it was too cold, and I almost did the same thing. I was like, "Oh." Cold tea is horrible. Um, But hot tea isn't that much better. But uh, you probably won't get that uh, from me this time. Anyhow, okay, so let's get into the Word. We're going to be in the book of the Revelation, uh, which is the last book of the Bible, if you're not familiar. We're going to be in the book of the Revelation, which is a, not a dream, it's a revelation that Jesus gave to a guy named John who was on an island, who was exiled on an island. Jesus shows up, and in chapter 2, he says this. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's just a fancy way of saying it. Jesus. (laughs) This is from Jesus, the words of Jesus. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, I'm going to pray. This is an ancient prayer. O God, who has prepared for those that love you such good things as pass our understanding, pour into our heart such love towards you that we, loving you above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen okay is that a convicting enough passage already this uh, this is one of those opportunities that I have to, to sort of preach outside of the sermon series and kind of go with what's on your heart so this is kind of terrifying for me um, because as I was preparing this sermon I was really cut really uh, deeply over and over again as I was meditating on this passage. And the fear for me is that either um, either I will dumb that down because I'm afraid of what you think of me if I express myself emotionally because I have the irrational belief that uh, it is shameful to express yourself emotionally in public. Um, or I have the fear that uh, in, in, in doing so, I will actually prevent you guys from feeling and hearing god has to say to you so pray for me as we go along this this sermon isn't going to be like our usual sort of exegetical one where we do like heavy on exegesis where we're like unpacking every verse of the text and then like a little tiny bit of maybe a little bit application at the end i'm actually going to do the opposite where it's going to be a little bit of like here's what's going on and then a lot of application so if you ever hear a preacher named tim keller he does it this way so you know th- there you go that's where i'm getting that's where i'm getting at. I, I didn't this is not Uh but there's there's basically three three things I want to say. Here's the roadmap for you. Three things. The first thing in this passage I want to look at is what is this love that he says you've fallen from, that you had at first? What is the nature of love? You might say. The second thing is how do we lose how do we lose that love, which you might say is the nature of sin. And then the third thing will be uh, how. How do we get it back? How do, you, how do you reawaken that initial love? So those are the three, those are the three things that I'm gonna do, and the first two might be long and boring, so if you wanna check your brain at the door, um, that would be the time to do it. But the third one I wanna wake you up so you can pay attention, because that's really important. So the first one, the nature of love. So now, we, we are familiar with this experience we call love. And everybody said over and over we use this one word, love, and you say I love pizza, and you say I love my daughter or my son, and we use the same word, and it means two very different things. Okay, fine. Don't need to get into that. But what I want to point out about love is there are actually two sides of love that we also talk about. One of them is this voluntary side. We'll say love is a verb, love is a deed, love is something you do. And then the other side we will say love is a feeling. It's something you feel, it's an affection, it's a desire. And I actually think that both of those... Are true for for a love to be genuine and 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 true, it has to have both of those. So I'm going to leave aside the whole voluntary side, because I don't think that's necessarily what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, uh, he's saying you've lost the love you had at first, but right? He says that, but he's he also says, oh, I know your works. You're doing this. You're doing this. You're doing this. You're doing this. You're doing the stuff, and at the same time, you've lost. Your love. What does he mean? I think he means this this involuntary part of love. Uh, and in case you're not tracking with me, uh, we'll, we'll dig in a little little deeper. Okay, what Jesus is talking is about what motivates us to do what we do. It matters to Jesus what motivates you, not just what you do, but what motivates you. Just like it will matter to my wife. Let's just say, okay, let's let's take the act. Let's take one act, okay? I bring her chocolate at least 82% cacao that's the way she likes it I bring her chocolate why what does it matter to her what motivates that oh yeah it does so I could do that because I was really thinking about her and thinking about man I love my wife and she does so much for me and for our kids and I just want to express my love for her so I bought her chocolate so it can be for her But I could also say like, you know what, I'm a coward and I don't like tension and we have tension in our relationship and so I want to ease that tension by buying her chocolate rather than actually engaging in conflict with her. Mm -hmm. Or I could say I'm feeling a bit randy and I want to hope that I get lucky tonight so I'm going to get her chocolate for that reason too, right? (laughs) So I've just, just given you several motivations and only one of them is actually about love for her. The rest of them are about love for me. My love for comfort. My love to be maybe in a position of power where I can you know, get her to do something I want. My love for pleasure. So very often our loves, we, we might think that we're uh, doing something for someone else because we can point to the act, we can point to the deed, the voluntary thing you do. But Jesus actually, his eyes penetrate through that and see your heart and your motives. And he says, I know why you are doing that. I know why you're doing that. And like I said, it's involved. You, you don't, it's not like you can have this act of will and be like, I want to do it because of X. Boom. Oh, now I do. Now now suddenly I want to do it. That, it's something that is sort of drawn, your heart is attracted and drawn out and pulled into something. So that's a, a very quick rundown of the first, the first point. Love has to do with motivation and this involuntary thing inside. Of course, it has to do with the act too. But what Jesus is getting at is, you're doing the stuff, but your heart isn't there. Okay? So, how do we lose that? This is the nature of sin. Why is it that we lose our first love? Well, because sin has entered the world and it has entered our life. Now, sin... um, Once again, like love, has this voluntary and involuntary component to it. Most of us, when we think of sin, we think of the bad stuff you do or the good stuff you fail to do. And that's it. That's what sin is. That's actually not the way the Bible views sin. It's part of it. Part of it is what you do or you fail to do. But there's another huge involuntary part of it, which is what motivates you to do what you do. And there's also another part of it that's just simply the broken, bustedness of your life. So, for example, um, we have uh, broken brains. The Bible calls that sin. Why is it that I have, you know, I've probably forgotten more than I've remembered. There's, at one point, I knew Spanish. <laughs> at one point, I knew Greek. At one point, I had passed exams for a whole bunch of tests that I could not pass today. The Bible calls that sin. It doesn't. It, it's. It's. It's not something for which you're like. Uh, we point the blame at you. Like how dare you? But the Bible still that fits under the umbrella of sin. These these um, cognitive, uh, inabilities. Another one might be what you call like cognitive biases we have this sort of in, invincible ignorance you know like uh if i get the job it's because i worked really hard and i built a good resume and i went to the right school and did all that if somebody else got the job oh it's because the system is they've worked the system they got a buddy who's on the inside they went to the same school they got the same class ring um if i if my failure it's like oh well somebody cheated uh, life life took Took me the wrong way, but if somebody else, you know, fails. It's like, oh, well, he just didn't work hard, you know, or it's the guy who's weaving in and out of traffic. You're like, that's a guy's a maniac. But then, when you're in a hurry, you're like, well, I got a good reason, you know. It's these, it's these, uh, these ways in which we look at the world irrational. Like we can't stand back objectively and actually see what's going on and make a decision or make a judgment without some sort of internal selfish bias. And then there's the the whole feeling side of sin too, right? Sometimes people feel depressed or anxious or you feel like your life is purposeless or you're filled with ennui and boredom and you can't make yourself unfeel that. We call those medical conditions and we prescribe medication for it. Well, the Bible called that sin. It's called a disorder in your being. And we have that same kind of disorder in our heart in our affections for the things that we love, the things that draw us. We are attracted to things. Here's an an example. This actually, I wasn't planning this. I was actually on a prayer walk through the neighborhood and this happened and then I was like, oh, that's perfect. So I'm on a prayer walk. I'm walking around. I'm supposed to be praying. So I'm praying and and I walk. I'm over here. It doesn't matter where we are. But there's a there's a tree that's been cut down and they've got the whole whole trunk rounds across the street and i'm praying and i look over and i'm like oh those are those are kind of cool you could use that for like a seat or a coffee table i love i love to look at that and so i go over i walk across the street and i'm looking around and i'm like oh which one would be a good one and i bet i could roll that thing all the way back over because i live over here in the parish house um and i realize what just happened what just happened What happened was something appeared to my vision, my heart was attracted to it, went out to it, then my will was activated and followed my heart to go over and look, and then my mind started justifying the reasons why I should have it, and I started thinking about like, oh, well, that one's too small for a coffee table, that one's too small for a chair, this won't really work, but, you know, maybe someday I'll, I'll find a reason to have this thing. I'll I'll find it. You see how the mind is working way after your affections. Like you've already drawn out. And what am I supposed to, what am I doing? I'm praying. I'm praying. Do you see how sin affects our affections so that we either love things that aren't good, we're attracted to things that aren't good, or we are attracted to things that are good, but in a disordered sort of way, we choose a good thing over the best thing. Good thing over the better thing over the better thing you know it's it's not wrong to have uh, in 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 a sense a love for yourself in the sense of like i'm going to exercise i'm going to eat healthy i'm going to eat but when that comes at the expense of love for other people love for god you see how it's not a bad thing it's a good thing in the wrong place it's a disordered love now some of you are tracking uh, with me. You might be having alarm bells going off in your head right now. Going, wait a minute. How is it sin if it's involuntary? how How can I be held accountable or held culpable for things that I feel, things I'm attracted to, and I don't get to? I I don't get to choose to not be attracted. You know, like it's not a choice for me to make. So here, let's do this. Cilantro lovers. Anyone? Okay. Cilantro haters? Anyone? See? Okay. Now, you all made the choice, right? You guys decided in your head, you're like, I'm going to like it or I'm going to hate it. No, you didn't. You didn't. It's just something that's in, in your makeup. If you don't like cilantro, it's part of the fall. Okay, just saying. <laughs> it's part of sin. Here's my point. Here's my point in, in talking about uh, these Sin being these sort of disorders that you don't have control over. When a framer pulls out a nail to frame a house, if that nail is bent, it is not usable. It is defective unless it gets straightened out. It doesn't matter if the nail bent itself or something else bent it. The truth about you and I is that sin is both something we do and something that happens to us. We both uh, bend ourselves, and there are forces at work against us that bend us. And the point for all of us is that we must be straightened out. Okay? And just by the way, um, that means us right now, who are, who, like those of you who are already Christians, um, or who've known Jesus for a long time. You know, the church is not the place for the righteous, actually. The church is a place for sinners. So, um, if you don't feel like you're in the latter category, Jesus isn't going to be a whole lot of help for you. Okay? Just, just FYI. That's good news for me. Because I confess, as we started, I got problems, okay? I got issues. Uh, I not. I'm a bent nail, okay? So, there's the first two points. If you've been napping Wake up Time to wake up. Okay. How how do we get out of this? We've got a problem. We got a problem. How do we get out? Well, uh, this would be the nature of grace now. Here's here's what some of us do There's almost a cottage industry about this. Here's what some of us do. Okay Buckle down try harder you're already doing it do it better do it more faster stronger whatever do it more better get up my spiritual disciplines better dedicate more time to prayer come to more services serve in the children's ministry whatever it is um maybe you should serve in the children's ministry regardless of your motive but uh but that's kind of like our impulse is like okay there's a motivational talk i'm kind of sucking josh is saying that i kind of suck so i need to like i need to get at it you know double down it's actually not what i'm saying It's not what Jesus is saying. So Jesus, Jesus, his prescription is not, okay, here's your condition. Now what you need to do is try harder. He doesn't say that. He says you're already doing it. You're already doing it. It's It's not trying harder that you need. What he says to do is remember from where you have fallen, which means you were at a higher place than you are right now. By the way, we have this idea, and you can feel free to disagree with me. I hope somebody gets a little heated under the collar when they hear you say this. Very often, when you come into the church, we think of this term justification, like when you first come to Jesus. And then after that, that's all sanctification, meaning you come to Jesus because you need him and you're a sinner. And then once you you get baptized and you reach that point, at some point you transition into sanctification, which is where you start doing all this other stuff. You start hopping and jumping and getting into the spiritual disciplines and doing all that sort of thing. I actually uh, disagree with that. Uh, Sanctification is just the word we use for ongoing justification. You want to know how you grow in grace? You want to know how you grow in Jesus? It's by returning back. It's doing this. Going back to where you were. In the beginning. The love you had at first. The way up is by returning. Because the only way up is for Jesus to carry you. And the only way for him to carry you is if you let him. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're like, Jesus, I got it. I'm going to climb. He'll be like, okay. Good luck. That's an escalator you're climbing. So you're going down, <laughs> you're going down as much as you're going up. So, what does he mean? He says... Remember, repent, and, uh, and do the deeds you did at first. What does this mean? Well, I think the best way to, uh, the best way I thought of to think about this is to tell you a story. Stories are powerful. And here's the story. Man, I'm getting caught in mouth. I'm also fired up. Okay. Here's the story. It's in Luke 7. Jesus is invited to dinner with a Pharisee, a guy named Simon. And uh, Simon has him in, and this woman comes in. This lady of the night, you might say. She comes in behind Jesus. They're they're reclining at table, which means they're laying down on their side. And she comes in, and she's weeping. She weeps and weeps and weeps. And she comes to Jesus' feet, and her tears run down on his feet, and she wipes his feet with her hair, and she has some uh, ointment, some oil that she uh, rubs into his feet. And what the Pharisee says is, "If Jesus were really a prophet, he would know who this woman is, and he would stop her." That's what he says. What Jesus says to him, he says, "Simon, I got something to say to you." He says, "Okay, say it, teacher." Um, and Jesus tells him a story. He says essentially this. This is, the, this is the, the Josh Wilder translation that I'm going through, by the way, uh, to save time. <laughs> um, Jesus says, look, there was a creditor who had two people who owed him money. One owed him 50 bucks. One owed him $500,000. And he decided to cancel the debts of both of them. Now, which one is going to love him more? And the Pharisee rightly says, well, the one who had the greater debt, of course. And Jesus said... That's the point. That's the point. You've got it all figured out. You've got the index by which you can measure who is righteous and who isn't. And you put yourself over here in the righteous category. And this woman over here in the unrighteous category. And now you're putting me over in the unrighteous category too. Because you act like I don't know how this game works. What he actually says is the one is who is forgiven little loves little. So there is a connection Between you knowing how much you are forgiven and how much you love Him, you know what the index is for who's righteous and who isn't? It's love for Jesus. It's love for Jesus. Because only those who are found in Christ are righteous. Nobody else is. If you're here uh, and you're not in Christ, you're not on the side of the righteous. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. It, some of us, the danger for a lot of us is you've been with Jesus for a while and you think you're in the on the side of the righteous because now you cleaned yourself up. Now I don't drink anymore, I don't party anymore, I don't abuse women anymore or men, I guess. But like you, you see all this exterior stuff that you've that you don't do anymore, and you have all this exterior stuff that you still do. You you do it and you do it faithfully, and you think, okay, I'm good. But that's not the way you see if you're good. It's love for Jesus. Do you have love for Him? This this story I just told you. I was looking for uh, for for paintings or, or uh, works of art about it um, because sometimes you know that the this old saying of pictures worth a thousand words. One of the one of the beneficial things from my seminary experience was taking one class which was about how to read and interpret christian art and iconography and that's still bearing fruit to this day but i was looking for images and almost all of them were almost like the cinderella image of the woman like she's on her knees and she's like "Mm -hmm," you know almost like singing to herself and i thought man that is not that's not the image and i found one and i was like this this is the image you can go ahead and put it up now it's kind of hard to see because it's light here that's the image right there desperation an ugly faced cry clinging to his dirty feet. She loves him. I want to love Jesus like that door of hope. Okay, I, don't, I look into my own heart and I don't find that. I'm fired up and I'm, I've been wounded over and over this week because I'm not like that. I don't have that desperation. I want to though. I want to take His feet and smash them into my ugly face that's crying and see those scars, see those scars in His feet from where He was nailed to the cross for me because of my great sin. Both what I've done and just who I am, what i failed to do. Who I am, the fact that I don't love Him. I don't love others, I love myself. I want to love Him like that and I want to feel His hand on my head. You know what the truth is? The truth is that most of the time, me, and I assume all of us, we figured out how to live not from our heart, but from our exterior habits and behaviors. We learn to live out of that. And in doing so, we hide who we really are, and Jesus sees that. The thing is, if I truly lived out of my heart all the time, I would be an adult toddler, right? And that is insufferable for everybody. Toddlers are actually being more genuine human beings than the rest of us. The truth is, if we live like that, if we actually live like that, we would be utterly rejected and unfit for society. And that's how that woman was. Everyone told her, you are rejected and you are unfit for society. But she saw Jesus and he said, I love you. I don't reject you. I see all the way into your heart. I see all of your problems and I don't reject you. That's why she loved him. Do you see in your own heart how much you need him? How you should be utterly rejected? But you're not. Because of the great love with which he has loved us, Paul says. Because of the great love with which he has loved us. He has made us alive in Christ. By grace you have been saved and has seated us with Him in the heavenly places, so that for the coming ages and ages He might show to us His immeasurable richness and kindness in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Go read it. This is an image of remembering your first love, of repentance and do this is the work you did at the first if you lived in darkness before you came to Jesus this is what you did this is repentance so that's my charge to you door of hope I know I'm getting a bit wild and out of control compared to my usual composed self up here but my heart's on fire okay I'm I'm, I'm back from covid, I'm back from St. Louis, I'm back from a long break and I'm ready to be on fire for Jesus. I want to start a wildfire around here. <clears throat> I want to see Jesus high and lifted up. Here's the deal. One last thing and then we're done. Our loves are disordered. We love the wrong things. We love things wrongly ordered. You know what what God is like? God doesn't not only doesn't have that problem. God has one love. One love. It's not divided. And it is directed at you and at me. He doesn't get distracted by the logs on the, across the street. He has one love. And that same love he has for his son is the same love he has for you and I. It's the same love he has for his creation. God is not motivated. doesn't have mixed motives inside. He's got that one His motive is to share His glory and share His love with His creation. So, I'm going to pray, and then uh, the musicians will come up and we'll enter a time of worship.